And now, a message from Pastor Michael Carmody. Love it when a plan comes together. How's everybody doing? Welcome. It's good to see you again this morning. I know you've already been greeted, but let me greet you one more time. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. I am one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to be with you today. It's a joy to be able to uh, gather with all of you and have the privilege of communicating this morning with us concerning the gospel. It's always just great to look into God's Word, isn't it? See what He has to say to us. So, again, welcome. Great to have all of you here with us. This summer, we have been studying the book of Philippians. Uh, the book of Philippians is a, a letter actually written by the Apostle Paul. I'm going to give you a quick history here. My wife tells me sometimes I ramble on this stuff, so I'm going to do it really quick. Uh, Philippians is a, is a letter actually written by the Apostle Paul who was imprisoned for preaching the gospel in Rome. He was imprisoned in Rome, and uh, while he was there, he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. Later, the letter was taken and broken into chapters and verses. It wasn't originally written that way, uh, but later it was translated into English, and we now get to read what Paul wrote, and it's great stuff. In fact, those, there's four little books kind of right in the middle of the New Testament, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, and Colossians. These are powerful little books that have a lot of doctrine and a lot of encouragement, just a lot of hope, a lot of faith in these passages that we find in these four little books. This summer we have been studying the book of Philippians. And uh, so Paul wrote the church, uh, the, the book to the church at Philippi, uh, probably about 18 to 24 months perhaps before he was actually executed for being a Christian, for preaching the gospel. And um, he preaches this in prison knowing that that's happening, knowing that that's what he's facing. And he addresses a number of issues in the book of Philippians. We've already covered several of the chapters. Today we're finishing chapter 3. And in chapter 3 we're talking about invincible joy. And if there's anything that resonates in Paul's writings, it's this idea of joy, having an invincible joy. What does invincible mean anyway? That's right. It can't be defeated, can't be beaten, it can't be stopped. It is invincible. It's like Superman. And there is no kryptonite. Right? Nothing can, nothing can stop this joy. And so uh, the subject as we've been studying in the last several weeks on invincible joy, we've talked about the fact that joy isn't the absence of suffering, it's the presence of God. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness. Everybody say fullness. There's fullness of joy in God's presence. And so if I'm lacking some joy in my life, if I find myself getting a little grumpy, anybody know what I'm talking about? Spouses, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Just kidding. If I find myself getting a little bit grumpy... It could be that I'm lacking some of God's presence in my life because in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. And even if I may not be happy about everything in my life, I can still have joy because joy and happiness are not the same. Happiness comes and goes with circumstances. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that we have abiding inside of us. It gives us strength. And not only do we read that in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy, but in Nehemiah, Pastor Josh unpacked this a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into it. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah told the people of God that the joy of uh, that uh, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's where you find strength. It's where you find the spiritual and natural fortitude to continue in life with a smile on your face even when everything's going bad. Amen. That we can look beyond the stuff of life and have an abiding joy. That's what God offers us. That's something that other religions in the world just can't offer is an abiding kind of joy. Happiness perhaps, but joy is something real and as I said, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul talks about this invincible joy and today we're finishing chapter 
3, and so I'm going to read some passages here in just a moment to finish up chapter 3, and we're actually going to just step one foot gently into chapter 4 as we finish up uh, this teaching on invincible joy. And I really want to talk to you, in, in the passages we're about to read today, there are so many different subjects being covered. There's at least a half a dozen messages. As I was looking at and reading these verses, I thought, oh, I could go this way, and I could go this way. I could talk about this. I could talk about this. I, I piled up all this stuff, and I realized we were going to be here till 3 o'clock. And so, yeah, right? So I kind of set some of that aside, and I picked one. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, honey. <laughs> so, um, so we won't be here until 3 o'clock. We should be done well before 2.30. So um, this idea of invincible joy. Everybody say joy. joy. Say invincible joy. Now say, say invincible joy with a grumpy face. <laughs> it, it'll, you'll hurt yourself if you try to do that because the idea of joy, it, it lightens us, it brightens us, right? It's a great thing. So I want to read today, um, thinking about and maintaining in, your, in the back of your mind this idea of invincible joy. We're going to come back and talk about that. But there's a lot in these verses I want to share beginning in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. You can look on the screen or you can go to the Bible app. Uh, you can go to the church app. I think the verses are there as well. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers and sisters... Join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the, the example you have in us. Um, so Paul, as he's writing his letter, and remember, Paul just sits down and he writes this letter. He may have written it and, you know, he may have taken breaks and come back and written it. But at some point here, about in the middle part or closer to the end of his letter, he takes a pause and he says, brothers and sisters, he's just addressing his friends at Philippi from the perspective of their relationship with Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says this kind of amazing thing. He says, join in imitating me. That's, when you think about it, that's a pretty bold statement to say, hey, you know what? I want you to imitate me. I want you to live the way I live. I want you to do what I do. Uh, that's somebody who has some real confidence that they've gotten a hold of something. This is the same Paul who at one time was persecuting the church and trying to bring the church to an end. He has a, a confrontation with Jesus who blinds him for a period of time so that he can see forever, right? And he has this encounter with God, and it changes him. And he realizes now that what he has, and this is what he's been talking about. We've talked about this all through the, the, the book of Philippians up to this point. He realizes that we need to have this humility in Christ, but through the humility in Christ, we have available to us wisdom and opportunities that we don't have in any other way. And so he says, you can follow uh, me. You can imitate me. In fact, he, he says, observe those who live according to the example that you have in us. And he's saying, you know, I don't want to just... Talk about this stuff. I mean, Paul talked about a lot of stuff. He wrote a lot. In fact, this same Paul who was persecuting the church, once he got turned around and God got a hold of him, he became a vessel for God, not only to start churches all over Asia Minor and to become arrested and spend a great deal of time imprisoned for his faith, but he also, during that imprisonment, wrote about 50% of the books of the New Testament. About 50% of what we have in the New Testament has been penned by the Apostle Paul, 50% of the books. And he does this, he writes this stuff, he has a lot to say, he has a lot to teach us, but then he says this, he says, don't just listen to my words, follow my example. He's saying the words are not what it's all about. Paul wasn't, uh, for Paul, it wasn't just about what he said, it was about what he did. This was the conflict that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And I've mentioned this before, but he told the, the people gathered, he said, listen to the Pharisees, listen to what they say, listen to what they teach, because they teach the word of God correctly. And then he, and then he shot this zinger at him. He said, just don't do what they do. 
because they can't walk this out. They blow it horribly. So their words are good, but their example is bad. Paul is saying, don't just listen to my words. Follow my example. Live the way that I live. You all with me on this? So that's pretty bold. I mean, I don't want to stand before you today and say, live the way I live. I'm going to let the Apostle Paul carry that. Um, You know, and there are are things about my life that are not quite where I want them to be yet. Anybody know what I'm talking about in here? We're all a work in progress, aren't we? And, and yet we can learn from one another and we can follow certain examples in one another. And we, can, we can learn and we can grow. But Paul makes this statement. It's pretty powerful. In verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 18, he says this. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you, even with tears, their end is destruction, their God is, the, is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set unearthly things. Whatever else Paul might be talking about in this passage about these people who are the enemy of the cross of Christ, I think we have to be very careful, uh, let you and I be very careful that we don't start identifying enemies of the cross of Christ. This is not something Paul's saying that we should just go out willy-nilly and start identifying people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Even people who may seem to be enemies may actually underlyingly be someone that God is drawing and pulling toward himself so that he can change. And Paul knows that at one time he was an enemy of the cross of Christ. But now something has been changed. But he mentions these people and he kind of talks about them. He says their end is destruction. And he says, I'm telling you this with tears. It's not like Paul's rejoicing over the fact that there are people who are enemies of the cross somehow making him better than them. But he says their end, the end of their life is going to be destruction, annihilation. Their God is their belly. In other words, it's just all about what I can get, what I consume. It's all about me. Their glory is in their shame. They glory in things that they should be ashamed of, he said. But then this is the bottom line. He said their minds are set on earthly things. Their minds are set on earthly things. Their minds are tuned in, focused on earthly things. When it says set there, it means to be tuned in or to be focused. It's, think about the old, remember the old radios where you used to have to turn the knob and move the little, anybody here old enough to know what I'm talking about? Turn the knob and the little dial moves over and you get all the static and all the, and then all of a sudden you, you hear the station really clear, right? You got it really clear. In, in a sense, this is what he's saying. Don't set your mind on the earth channel, right? Set your mind on the heavenly channel. Hear what's coming from God. Hear what's coming from heaven, not just what's going on on this earth. We're going to listen. Something's going to influence us. Either the stuff of the world is going to influence us or the stuff of the kingdom is going to influence us. Too often, I think, we get our our channel set in the wrong place. And we're listening to all the stuff of the world and we're getting all that influence and we're not balancing that with what God has already said. And I'll tell you what, God has already said that his kingdom is greater than the kingdoms of this world. So set, those who set their minds on earthly things. So bottom line, to be an enemy of the cross is really just to keep our minds focused on the stuff of this world instead of the stuff of God. But let me continue to read. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and it's from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory. And that's a, that is really good news. some point, our our bodies are going to be changed. And, uh, you know, if you don't like what you see in the mirror, someday that's all going to change. There's going to be a transformation, right, that takes place. By the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. So as I said earlier, we're going to leave a lot of this passage untouched. 
There's, we're we're going to leave a lot more untouched than what we try to unpack in this package. Uh, in these verses, there is so much stuff, as I said, uh, at least a half a dozen different messages, different directions, different things we could talk about. But my focus today is going to be on this idea of being citizens of heaven, which is what we just read there in that verse. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul here is primarily reassuring his followers in Philippi that our real life, our true life, is in heaven, not on earth. To use a phrase that I came up with some years ago, I, I believe it's an original of mine. I don't remember ever hearing it anywhere else, but this is my, this is my thought that we are eternal beings having a temporary human experience. Who you really are is not just the flesh and bone body that you live in. The real you is eternal. This, these bodies are going to go away. They're not going to last forever. Well, I can tell that's really good news. Everybody's on board with that. But there is something bigger, something deeper, something greater inside of us. And here's Paul's message, that we are citizens from heaven. In fact, here's, what it, here's, here's my message today. Here's how I break it down. Our citizenship is from heaven. Stand firm in the Lord. Our citizenship is in heaven. So we should stand firm in the Lord. You know, there's nothing in this world that we can really stand firm on because this world is a constantly shifting sand. If we're going to stand firm on anything, if we're going to stand on anything that we know we can count on and trust and rely on, it's going to have to be standing on the Lord. Again, whatever Paul may have been talking about in verses 18 and 19, about these enemies of the cross, their minds were set on earthly things, things that only exist on earth. They were consumed with the stuff of this world. And you know what? That can happen. That can slip in really, really quickly into Christians' lives. We can get really caught up and really concerned about the stuff in this world. We can tell where our dial is set, what we're receiving, because that's really what a radio is. It's a receiver, right? You set your receiver at a certain station, you, you get what's coming from that station. We, if we set our receiver on the world channel, on the earth channel, Everything we're going to get is all the junk of this world and all the stuff that goes on. Everybody knows we live in a broken world and that there's a lot of wound, there's a lot of hurt. If we listen to the stuff we talk about, the things we think about, the stuff we post on social media, the stuff we share from social media, the stuff we repost, if we look at that, if it's all about all the junk of this world and everything that's wrong in this world, our channel is set on the wrong place. And it's why there's probably so little joy in our lives because this world cannot produce the joy of the Lord. So we look at that, we realize we've got to make some adjustments here. That's the great thing about that radio dial. You just got to move the dial a little bit and you start receiving from a different source. I can't get any help in here. So I want to start receiving from a higher source. How about you? A better source. And so these, these he talks about these individuals whose minds are set on earthly things. And I, I again, I, I look at that, I think about that, and I wonder you know, if we sometimes fall into that category of letting our minds drift over, letting the dial just kind of go back to earthly things, and we get caught up in all the stuff that we hear and all the things that are going on. Look at what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He wrote this. So we do not lose heart, which, by the way, means we don't give up. doesn't mean uh, I can't find my heart. I don't know where my heart went. Uh, I lost my heart. No, it, it means we give up. We quit. We do not lose heart even though our outer nature is wasting away. There's some good news. Not your neighbors say that's cool. Right. Our outer nature, our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. 
It's almost poetic, isn't it? The outer nature is wasting away. The inner nature is renewed day by day. It's kind of like poetic. Let me read it to you. Let me read you this verse from the Amplified Bible. Here's this verse in the Amplified Bible. Therefore, we do not become discouraged. Therefore, we do not become discouraged. We do not become discouraged, utterly spiritless, exhausted, and wearied out through fear. Though our outer man is progressively decaying and wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day after day. So this is talking about a dual nature to our lives, a dual nature to our existence. And the first part of it is this. We are human. Any humans in the house? About half of us. That's awesome. Um, so here's the thing about being human. Human is temporary. Human is temporary. Uh, no matter how hard we fight it, our bodies are decaying. So it's, it's always so fun to say that. Our bodies are decaying. They're wasting away. We're getting older, and as we get older, our bodies lose vitality. They lose strength. And, you know, we watch that happen, and there's no, I mean, there's no fighting it. It's why, it's why the cosmetic industry is a multiple, multi-billion dollar industry, because we're trying to find stuff to make us look like we're not getting old. Right? And so we, we, get, we buy all these products, and we do it every, you know, you know what I'm talking about? We buy all this stuff because we don't, want, we don't want to look old, and we color our hair, and we put stuff on our face. And I've learned something, man. That oil of Olay stuff does not work. Wrinkles, <laughs> wrinkles just show up. They just keep coming, you know? Every once in a while, I look at this old man that I'm shaving in the mirror and think, what happened to that kid? Where, you know, where'd he go? That's what happens, right? Time moves us forward, Amen. and the body is decaying. I know that's not good news, but it is true. None of us here are going to live forever in our physical bodies. I've said this many times. I'm 62 years old, but soon I'm going to hit the midway point in my life. And (laughs) that's right. And, um, you know, it's going to be half over and I'm going to have that second half. I'm looking at, you know, someday that'll happen. I get that. Our human life is temporary, right? So that's one side of us decaying away, passing away, coming to decay, coming to waste. Exciting stuff. Then there's another side. There's the spiritual side of our existence, which is eternal, which is real life, which has the ability to be renewed, restarted, brought back again every day of our lives. It has the ability to be renewed every day. Just, be, just as God's mercies are new every morning, the ability for our inner man to be renewed is new every morning. And here's something I think is really great. If we let the Holy Spirit renew us on the inside, it has an effect on who we are on the outside. I'm not going to say it's completely stopped the aging process, but you can age a whole lot better if you let the Holy Spirit work inside of you than if you live in grump land. Because when the Holy Spirit works inside of you, you are filled with joy and you can face the stuff of life with joy on your life. I'll tell you what, grumpiness takes life out of us. And joy puts life in us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If joy is our strength, then grumpy is our weakness. Nudge your neighbor, so let's not go there. So no grumpies, right? That's right. Very good. Let me share a few more thoughts with you here. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Check this out. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful. Everybody who works out in the gymnasium say, yep. yep. That's right. Work- <laughs> workouts. Let me try it again. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful. But a disciplined life in God is far more so making you fit both today and forever. I love this. Paul isn't saying that workouts in the gym are useless. He said they're useful. They have a value. You know, I believe, in, I believe in fitness. I believe in workouts in the gymnasium. I may not look like I do, but I do. And, um, 
You know, I, I believe that we should keep our bodies as fit as possible. I really do. I think we should take care of the vessel. This is, this is the, the vessel of the Holy Spirit, right? So we should take care of it as much as we can. That's great. But he says a disciplined, li- a disciplined life in God is far more useful because it's not only useful for here but also for eternity. All the workouts in the gym do is help this body, and this body is going to pass no matter how many times you go to the gym. But when we discipline ourselves in spiritual life, that strengthens us not only for now, but for all of eternity. Are you with me? Let's look at some stuff in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is all the writing of Paul. He said this, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Now here's a, you know, one of those strange dichotomies in, in our faith, is that we don't look at what we see. We look at what we don't see. We look past the obvious stuff, and we look at what cannot be seen. Look at it, in the, again, in the Amplified Bible. Let me read it to you in the Amplified Bible. This is pretty great. For our light momentary affliction, the slight distress of the passing hour, anybody ever have slight distress in, in hours passing by your life? is ever more and more abundantly preparing and producing and achieving for us an everlasting weight of glory beyond all measure, excessively surpassing all comparisons and all calculations, a vast and transcendent glory, a blessedness never to cease. Since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are not, that are unseen, for the things that are visible are temporal, brief and fleeting away, but the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Wow, that is some good stuff. He talks about, in here, Paul talks about this slight momentary affliction, this light momentary affliction. And the Amplified goes on to describe that as a slight distress of the passing hour. You know, that's just our, our human existence has this sense of a light momentary affliction. Anybody who's lived in this world very long has experienced some affliction. It means tribulation, trouble, problems, stresses, challenges. Anybody here this, you know, experienced any kind of, of challenge in your life ever? Of course we have. We all have. And what Paul is saying is that we don't focus on that, we don't look at that, because the whole point of that is to develop something greater and something deeper inside of us. You know, I've, been th- I've, had, a lot of, I've had a lot of challenges in my life, had a lot of tribulation, gone through a lot of stuff in my life. You know, I shared in the first service, um, many of you may know this, some of you may not, uh, that my wife and I, we were saved in 1979 and 1980. We had our first son. And he, had, he was born with a very severe birth defect, only lived a couple of weeks. It was, a, it was a hard trial on our new faith. But you know what? God used that to actually deepen something inside of us, to push that faith down deeper inside of us to where we would have believed, we could have believed for absolutely anything during that period of time. And when our son passed, it was just this deep faith, this gratitude that there is a Savior, that there's a heaven, that we can trust God with the stuff that we don't understand, the stuff that we can't fix and we can't change. And there's that ability to walk through this stuff. And yeah, it it might be an affliction in the natural, but in the spirit, it begins to develop. It begins to pull something up. So Paul talks about this. He says, I go through this light momentary affliction. A few chapters later in the same book, he tells us what that light momentary affliction is. So we're going to look at that. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 now. We just read from 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4. We're going to go to chapter 11 And here's what he says. Five times 
I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That's 39 lashes. Five times I received that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Let's pause here for a moment. Let's go back. Anybody here ever been whipped 39 times because of your faith? Anybody here been whipped 39 times, five different times because of your faith? Paul was. Anybody here ever been beaten with, with sticks because you're a Christian? Anybody here been beaten with sticks three different times because you're a Christian? Paul was. Anybody here ever been stoned? I'm just kidding. No, anybody, anybody ever been? It's a diff, this is a different kind. Sorry, folks. Um, it's, a, it's, a di- it's a whole different kind of stoning. Um, one, one of the ways that Christians, one of the <laughs> that connected way too well, y'all a mess. So, um. <laughs> one of the ways that Christians were executed was by a process called stoning. And people would stand in a big circle and the accused would stand in the center or sometimes be tied in the center and they'd begin to throw rocks at him and they would leave him for dead once he was under a pile of rocks. Paul said, I, that happened to me once. That's what he was talking about. That happened to me once. He said, I once received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger, danger, danger from false brothers and sisters. One of the translations, instead of using dangers, there's use perils. I mean, Paul had this whole long string of perils. (laughs) Never mind. Anyway, that's about what happened in the first service. It's like... Anyway, all of this suffering that Paul went through was a result of pursuing the call of God on his ministry and on his life. I don't know about anybody else here, but would any of you after, you know, I mean, it's it's not like he had, you know, five whippings first and then three beatings, but just through the process of his life, he kept going through this stuff. Anybody here at some point along that process ever would have maybe thought, I wonder if I'm really following the will of God here, because this is pretty rough. I mean, it's easy for us to look back at Paul, you know, and say, well, that was the Apostle Paul. He was going through. You hear what he's saying? Five times he was beaten with 39 lashes, five distinct different times. Three different times he was arrested. In the process of that arresting, he was beaten with rods to be punished for preaching the gospel. He was left under a pile of rocks, left for dead. In his travels under arrest, he was in a shipwreck. You can read about that in the book of Acts. All these different things that he's gone through. We, we look at that and we say, well, yeah, that was, that was the apostle Paul's life. But put yourself in his shoes for a while. At some point, you start wondering, you'd have to at least have a passing thought, am I really in the will of God? Because this seems like a lot of stuff. You know what he referred to it as? He referred to it as his light, temporary affliction. If this is light, temporary affliction, what are we going through? Even lighter, temporary affliction. Whatever we might be facing in comparison to what the Apostle Paul went through is nothing. Am I right about it? And yet the Apostle Paul was able to hang on to his joy. The Apostle Paul was able to build his life still on the joy of the Lord that was his strength. The Apostle Paul was still able to look beyond the natural stuff. I'll tell you what, man, at some point when you're getting beat 39 times for being a Christian, at some point during that process, Paul had to have said, I counted all joy to be able to take this suffering for my king. 
It's the only way he could have kept going and kept doing it. There was a joy inside of him. I believe even in the midst of being beaten, in the midst of being left for dead, in all these dangers and all this stuff he went through, there was a joy inside of him that he got to suffer this for the cause of Christ. In the midst of his great suffering, Paul saw an even greater and invincible joy. Somehow he looked past all that and saw joy. How was that possible? Because he didn't look at the things that were seen, but at the things that are not seen. As we sit here and stand here today, we can look at our lives and we can realize, you know, we can get pretty worked up. And I, you know, I see the, I see the posts on Facebook, not necessarily from people in here, but, you know, different Christians that I've known over the years and look at some of the vile and some of the stuff that we post and repost and how we take these stands against things and we get ourselves so caught up in the stuff of this world that the Holy Spirit can't really do anything through our lives because we're so caught up in the stuff of the world. Does that make sense to anybody? And Paul said, I'm not going to look at this stuff. He found a greater joy in his life in following Christ. And stuff that we go through in this life is designed by God to make us stronger inside. Period. The devil's not trying to destroy your life. Jesus is trying to build faith in you. I'm not saying Jesus is taking you through this stuff. It doesn't matter why you're going through it. Paul didn't start blaming the devil for beating him. He just said, I went through these beatings and I learned about God in the process. Let's stop blaming and let's stop talking about where it's coming from and let's start celebrating the fact that in the midst of everything we go through, God is there and he wants us to learn and grow because we're citizens of heaven, not citizens of this earth. You all with me? He says, we consider and look not to the things that are, be, that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And this is a dichotomy of our faith. We don't look at things we can see. We look at things we can't see. The visible things, the things that we can see are brief and fleeting. Everything that we have, everything that we can see is in the process of passing away. Everything. Everything you can see and touch is in the process of getting old and eventually deteriorating and being gone. The things you can't see are eternal. Can you see joy? No? You can, you can maybe see it on somebody's face. But then again, that could be gas. But you can see. You can't see joy. Can you see hope? No, of course not. Can you see faith? No. Can you see Jesus? No. Can you see God? Can you see heaven? Can you see strength? No, we can only see those things with eyes of faith. Can we see the challenges in the world? Of course, stop looking at them. Can we see the challenges that we're going through? Of course, stop looking at them. Can we see that person at work that always pushes our buttons? Oh yeah, we see them at night. We see ourselves doing bad things to them. Stop seeing that. Stop looking to those things. Do you hear what I'm saying? Stop looking to those things. Those things are never going to accomplish the beauty and the, and the passion and the greatness of God in our lives. Never. They're never going to do it. All of this posturing and looking at the, the, what the unbelievers and the other side of the aisle politically and all this stuff, doing all this stuff with all the world stuff that gets us so worked up is doing nothing to develop a spiritual life inside of us that will help us at all. I love this message. It's about our citizenship is from heaven. Stand firm in the Lord. When he says that our citizenship, that word citizenship, interestingly enough, is the Greek word uh, polituma. Everybody say polituma. <laughs> polituma. Sounds a little bit like politics. <laughs> politics, right? Political. That's what it is. The condition or life of a citizen. Citizenship, community, the position and status of someone who is officially part of a nation or a society. And so, you know what, we have our citizenship in, in the United States of America. How many of you here are American citizens? Okay? Okay, you're an American citizen. That was 
may, may have been your decision. You may have made the decision to come to America and be a citizen here, but probably most of us were born here. How many of you were born here? And you're not an American citizen by decision, by choice, but, but by an act of birth, right? Could have been born anywhere in the world. You've been born here. I haven't been everywhere. I've traveled some. I've been to some countries. So far, I haven't found any nation I would rather live in than this one. I believe this is a great nation, and I'm glad to be living here. I have a U.S. passport that I can use to travel into other countries as long as I have visa, and the passport says that I am uh, a citizen of the United States of America. I'm a citizen in good standing. That's what good standing looks like. Anyway, so I'm a citizen in good standing. But you know what? That's the passport I can see. I also have another passport that says that I'm a citizen of a different kingdom, a citizen of heaven. It's an invisible passport. Hang on. There's my passport. It says I'm a citizen. It says I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You can't see it? Oh, that's because it's invisible. Uh, it's, it's, I, I have citizenship in another kingdom. This allows me to visit this land even though I don't live here. It allows me to visit here. It allows me to have a temporary human experience, even though I am an eternal being. This passport allows me access to heaven, but it also allows me access to this world on behalf of, of heaven, because I'm not just uh, a citizen of heaven. The Bible says we are also ambassadors. We're representatives of a different kingdom to this kingdom. We're representatives of a kingdom of light to a kingdom, to a world that's filled with darkness. We're representatives... I hope somebody hears this and changes some stuff on Facebook. We are representatives of a kingdom of hope in the midst of a world without hope. We are representatives, ambassadors of a kingdom of faith in the midst of a world full of doubt. A kingdom of love in the midst of a world full of division and hate. And it's a shame, I think, when we forget where we're really from and get caught up looking at all the stuff of this world instead of the stuff of God's kingdom. And so he says this in closing. You heard that little story about the little boy that was sitting with his mom, and the preacher said, in closing. And the little boy says, Mommy, what does that mean? She said, with this preacher, doesn't mean a thing. Anyway, in closing, let me say this. But our citizen, look at this verse. Our citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, our citizenship is in heaven. Where's our citizenship? What nation are we a part of? Kingdom of God, right? Kingdom of heaven. Here we go. Therefore, because of that, Brothers and sisters whom I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. You know what we get to do? We get to stand firm in the Lord because we're not from here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul was making a point to the church at Philippi. And his point was this. Don't get so caught up in the stuff that goes on in Philippi and in Asia Minor and in the world. Don't get so caught up in all the stuff of the natural world that you forget that you have a life outside of that world and that your real life is not about what happens around you. It's about what happens inside of you. All the stuff around us that tries to get our attention, if we'll focus on God, he'll use that stuff around us to make us different people, to make us the people he's intended us to be. For more information on New Covenant, contact us at 3318 Fifth Avenue South, Fort Dodge, Iowa. 50501 or you can call us at 515-955-6222